You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I want to turn now to the year in Washington, both 2016, the year that was, and 2017, the year ahead. And joining me to take a look at uh, all of those issues is Debbie Dingell, a Democratic congresswoman who represents Michigan's 12th district here in southeast Michigan. Debbie, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. It's great to be with you yes. and everybody listening. Yes. Are you getting ready for the holidays, Debbie? So I'm more behind than I've ever been. <laughs> I used to be the woman shopped, shopped and wrapped by November 1, and oh, I'm really? still in the... Not anymore. <laughs> I am not done, but you getting this there. Little, you have this little congressional job thing that I imagine gets in the way every once in a while. I need a wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not right. going to get one, so... <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, I actually want to start with uh, something that Governor Rick Snyder was talking about in the in the previous interview. I asked him about these new charges being filed uh, against emergency managers uh, and some other folks in Flint uh, and and whether this was uh, you know a representation of this whole investigation reaching higher and whether it would reach into his office. Um, he seemed he seemed pretty un, unflappable about that. I, I have to say, I didn't think he. Uh, I thought he answered the, the the question pretty well. I'm curious, though, from your vantage point, uh, uh, what's going on with this Flynn investigation, and where we think this might be headed in terms of consequences at the sort of top levels of state government. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. So, first of all, I don't have any insider's knowledge of what is happening, and I think that it is absolutely critical. I said this one year ago, and I say it again today, that we find out who was responsible and hold them accountable and make sure that this never happens again. Uh, I, I do sort of wonder where the attorney general was maybe at the beginning of all of this, sure. but the investigation is ongoing, and I hope it does not become political. I think it is very important for everybody in this state and in this country to understand what happened, how it happened. I think follow the money is an important part of all of this and that we do make sure that the people that did this to the people of Flint are held accountable and that we as a country at the federal, state, and local level make sure it never, ever happens again to another community. Yeah. Uh, Your husband and predecessor, uh, in your seat in Congress uh, was one of the people principally responsible for the development of our environmental protection uh, laws here in in uh, in this country. I, I wonder um, what you think about that end of the Flint water crisis and whether you worry going forward uh, into the next year when we have a new president who is not a big fan of uh, environmental regulation, whether we're going to have another real fight on our hands about things like the Flint water crisis, which happened in part because uh, of not strict enough oversight, not strict enough response and consequence by uh, federal agencies who are charged with making sure that our drinking water is not tainted. You know, I think that there's a very legitimate role for government to play, and that is to protect the public good, the common good. And that clearly did not occur at this point. And it was sort of a wake-up call for all of us that we have to be our own advocates. I think I've made this very clear from the very beginning that what EPA did when they got knowledge that something was wrong and not making it public was 
absolutely positively unforgivable. But the state also has very serious consequences. And quite frankly, as you're beginning to see these indictments, there were more people at the state and local level that really need to be held accountable. I'm very worried about what's going to happen in the new administration about environmental laws across the board. I actually think that the Flint situation has raised the awareness of many people and that people understand that they have to be their own advocates and that Republicans and Democrats know the importance of clean water. So I pray that what happened in Flint that will be fresh in people's minds for a few years, that agencies at every level of government are going to know that they must deliver for the common good. So it may be naive, but I'm hoping that what happened in Flint, we've got enough of a public awareness that I don't even have to worry about the Trump administration on that but we need to be terrified about what could happen to many other environmental regulations. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is uh, Debbie Dingell. She is the Democratic Congresswoman who represents Michigan's 12th district. We're talking about uh, the year 2016 in Washington and here in Michigan and looking forward to 2017. What are the things that are likely to happen? What are the issues that are likely to come up under a Trump administration? Uh, what are the issues that are going to royal maybe the Democratic Party. Uh, what about the Electoral College? Uh, lots of people talking about maybe a rethink of the way that we select the president of the United States. If you want to join the conversation, you have a question for the Congresswoman, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today. Um, let's talk about the Trump transition overall. Uh, as a member of the House, you won't be asked to vote up or down on uh, these nominees. But uh, of course, uh, you will be working with the, the people that uh, ultimately uh, secure those positions. Uh, lots of criticism of, of the, the group generally, lots of specific criticism of individual members. Give me your assessment of, of what he's doing and what it will mean for the things that that you care about well i think you know i have many feelings it's going to be quite a ride next year there's no question about it there first of all uh i've always believed that you've got to work with everybody uh he's was elected president he's going to be president of these united states and he's president of all of us but having said that my job is going to be to protect uh, the working men and women of this country that I represent. So if we get an infrastructure bill that might actually fix some of those potholes that are sending us all to too many car dealers, or if it creates jobs and we begin to fix pipes in the city of Flint, then we need to work together. If he tries to do something like create a, a, a registry of Muslims in this country, I will fight him tooth and nail. If he they try to privatize Social Security and Medicare. They do not know what they will meet in the fighter in me. And we will build a coalition from one end of this country so that we protect people. This is not an entitlement. This is something that people have paid into their entire sure. life, planning on retiring into it. Is it going to help reduce prescription drugs for people? Let's see what he's really going to do. But I'm prepared to fight tooth and nail to protect people in this country. Uh, you mentioned uh, fighting and defending working men and women. Uh, I'm curious of your about your reaction to the message that we seem to get from a lot of those working men and women during uh, 
the election during the campaign. Uh, Trump is essentially being credited with 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 having captured their attention and their admiration in key states like Michigan. Uh, and that is the reason he's president. Even though he didn't win the popular vote nationwide, he flipped three states that had not voted for a Republican in a really long time. Um, uh, is there a is there a conflict between uh, the Democratic policies that 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 you fight for and espouse, and what working men and women in this country or in this state want right now? So I don't think that there is. I feel that. I am someone that represents my district. I have Ann Arbor, which has many progressives, Mm -hmm. and I am very proud to represent the downrivers and the working men and women of the auto industry. You can do both. But I think many people think that there's a conflict, and I'm very worried about that dynamic uh, going forward. I've said, you know, you and I had pretty intense discussions (laughs) for almost two years because I told you that I thought Donald Trump could win Michigan Mm -hmm. and he did go on to do it. And it was because he talked about trade and I felt it. Too many people don't understand that working men and women don't want a lot. The people in my district want to just earn enough to be able to live in a safe neighborhood, to put food on the table, to be able to go to the doctor when they need to, to afford their medicine and to educate their kids. And instead they have this anxiety that their jobs are going to be shift overseas any day what's going to happen to them they don't know if there there are too many people in the state of michigan that spent a lifetime putting money into their pensions and those pensions aren't safe they're trying to cut the teamsters pensions right now we've got to fight to save them and then they're anxious in their workplace about whether they're safe or if they can go to a movie theater that's what too many people didn't understand. Yeah. It's a basic economic message. And you can fight for those. You can make sure the pensions are safe, and we're going to do everything we can to keep those jobs here. And at the same time, when I have a young Muslim soldier from my district that died, and a whole lot of people, Republican and Democrats, said, don't take this on. I did. And the Marines are bringing criminal charges against 20 people. You can do both and need to do both. So, uh, do you th- do you feel like um, there's uh, there's something you have to say or do uh, to sort of recapture that interest and admiration of, of, of working people? Do you feel that when you talk about trade, for instance, uh, and and the pain that people feel like has visited on their lives because of the trade deals that we have? What do you what do you say? Uh, when you're defending Barack Obama, for instance, uh, who was not on the ballot, but I think in some ways this election was a referendum on how people feel his tenure in office affected their lives. Uh, what what were you saying to those folks uh, during the campaign? You know, I think this is one of the reasons you and I disagreed from, for two years. Yeah. I, from the, before I ever got sworn in, I was on CNN and they tried to do the gotcha moment on trade. <laughs> and I said, look, I have a great deal of respect for the president, but I know who sent me to represent them. And it's the working men and women of the 12th district. And my job is to fight against trade deals that are going to hurt them. Right. So from the beginning, people in the, my district knew what where I stood and what I was going to fight for. And I was, quite frankly, one of the leaders against the TPP. But Donald Trump understood what I understood. And a lot of other people didn't understand that. People just want to play in a level playing field. So, you know, people want honesty. They're tired of, I say this to my kids, 
kids that work for me and the mm-hmm. staff. No gobbledygook. People are tired of politicians that put their finger in the air. They don't talk in straight English and you don't understand what they're saying. And I, I hope that people in my district know that I'll tell them the truth. They'll know where I stand and they never have to wonder what I'm going to do or what I'm thinking. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 to join the conversation with uh, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. 313-577-1019. Go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Harold in Midtown, you're up first on Detroit Today. Hello? Hey, Harold. How are you? Oh, yeah. Uh, how you doing? My comment, uh, i like to know I'm a lifetime Democrat. This, for, for non-elections, we have to get people to vote. That's why we lost. People did not go to the polls. So my job is to try to encourage people to go and and don't stay home and vote. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Thank you. No, thanks very much for that call, Harold. Uh, 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 getting people out to vote was, was one of the big problems we had, certainly no in question. Detroit on Election Day. But that does get to yet another sort of, I guess, big picture problem or issue for the Democratic Party, which is – you know, where does it go from here? Uh, if you can't get uh, Detroiters out to vote for Hillary Clinton in the numbers that they need to to, to beat Donald Trump, uh, if if you're going to lose Macomb County in the way that uh, that Hillary Clinton did, uh, you know, a county that uh, I believe Barack Obama carried, um, what what's the what's the regroup point, or where is well, the regroup point? I'm going to make several observations. Harold's absolutely right about people not voting, and they didn't vote in a lot of places. Uh, too many people think that their vote doesn't matter, they can't make a difference, or nobody cares what they think. And we need to get people reengaged in the system. There's uh, no question about that. But I'm very worried about the division. You know, I'm going to give you a perspective as a woman, mm-hmm. so that when I was a young woman, if a, one woman did well, Other women would think that they wouldn't, so we didn't support each other. And inside the Democratic Party, there are too many factions. And instead of people realizing, if I'm okay and you're okay and we both do well, we all rise. Yeah, there's there's the sort of, I've got to get over. uh, You know, if they do okay, I'm not going to do okay, so I'm not going to support them. We have to be a we. You know, I'll tell you, one of the things that I did, we've got to make room at the table for the Bernie Sanders supporters. He won this state. He did. Which, you know, I said to everybody, the day after the election, called people and said, you know, we got the DNC elections coming up. Well, I knew the minute I said that, I was going to be the person that was going to have to give up her seat. Because we need to make room at the table for everybody. And who is? We we aren't doing the soul searching, I think, that we need to do. I think we as a party who is the leadership have to make sure that everybody's at the table, that we, with the capital we, it's really doing the soul searching and figuring out where we're going to go. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Corey in the North End in Detroit. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Corey, how are you? Good. Um, I just wanted to first of all say thanks, Debbie Dingle, for all the work you do. You are a fantastic congresswoman, and we're honored to have you. Oh, that's um, Thank being you. Being a white millennial from Macomb County, I kind of understood that this ideology was resonating for a while now. Um, that. Donald Trump was embracing, and my question is, how do the Democrats get these uh, blue-collar, working-class um, factory workers back in the party? Because there's so much distrust um, that is kind of created by that um, "Make America Great Again" ideology. Yeah, great, I, co- great question, Corey. Thanks very much. Go well, ahead, Corey. Uh, you're dead right, and that's the. 
I'm sort of laughing at Steve because I said this to Steve for the last two <laughs> you years. You did. That's true. A, a trade is one of the first issues. We, uh, I've got a letter, by the way, that's circulating right now uh, on how we're going to keep jobs in this country, how we're going to protect pensions. Mark Buchan from Wisconsin and I are sending it to the leadership of the House and Senate to, uh, of the House and Senate. Sorry about that. To talk about the issues that really matter to people. You know, President Obama saved the auto industry. We all know that, but for too many people, it didn't translate down to them because they're scared. I think what a lot of people don't understand, and maybe I understand it better because I still have that anxiety in my heart and soul. We almost lost an industry in 2008. We did. We came really close. Too many people don't feel that recovery. They don't feel that they've got more purchasing power. They're scared to death. You know, I talked about the pensions, the Teamsters and the Central Pension Fund. But on the salaried side, if you're at work at one of the auto companies, you lose your health care at 65. You don't have it. UAW has it through the VIBA. A lot of things that people thought would always be there, they're not sure of. They're scared. They're scared. You know, we live in it. We work for and live in a community that's got a cyclical industry. It's doing well, but we also know it's cyclical. People are scared. Is that downturn going to come again? So, you know, we really need to figure out how we're going to create jobs, how we're preparing for jobs of the future, that we're training people. Well, and, and raising wages. I mean, and I raising think it's one wages. of the things that, that is really on people's minds. People, even if they have jobs, uh, or still have jobs, or were able to keep jobs that were at one point uh, threatening to go away, they don't feel like they're making They're not. Their purchasing money. power yeah. is less than it used to be. Yeah. That's a reality. Yeah. Uh, let's go to uh, Tom in Southfield. Tom in Southfield, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Anyway, my comment is that uh, I've been uh, watching and listening to Debbie Dingle for about 40 years. Uh-huh. And the thing is that... Uh, question is that Debbie Dingell and, and the Clintons, these are neoliberal politics. This is Bush light, Republican politics. I don't really think that they're really interested in changing and that their attitude toward the Bernie Sanders campaign of sabotaging it from day one shows that they had no interest in progressive politics. And now they're talking about being progressive so maybe uh, she could talk about that. This, yeah, uh, Tom. Uh, Tom, I appreciate that call. I, I'm curious uh, what what how you feel like that figured into election day in November. Do you feel like that made a lot of uh, liberals and progressives stay home? And not well, vote? just from the from the data that you know, I'm not doing emotional thing, but from the data that I read that. You know, there was somewhere between fifty and 80,000 people in Michigan who didn't vote for president. 88,000. They were disgusted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's one thing. And then the other thing is that uh, uh, there was no program for the Afro-Americans or for working people. And so then people didn't have, a, have a, anything to inspire them. Yeah. And then many people did vote for Trump. Yeah. Because they were looking for some magical change. Right. Tom, uh, I, I really appreciate your calling and making that point. Uh, also, Amanda on Facebook says something similar. She says the Democratic Party overall has lost working class people. It feels as though it has become an elitist party. Uh, Tom and Amanda, thank you both for those comments. Uh, Debbie, how do, you, well, how do Tom, you answer those? Tom and Amanda, I would say that I am very concerned about those issues. And the one thing I would say to you, Tom, is... I have been in Congress for exactly two years. <laughs> so it hasn't but been 40. <laughs> I, I, but I will, and I, 
uh, Bernie Sanders will tell you have been right there out in front on TPP with him. I do understand it. It I worked very hard to bring young people into my district to, to connect with people and actually gave up one of the jobs that I loved the most being on the DNC because I know we have to make sure they're at the table and we have that voice. And you know, I do care about these progressive issues. I think if you look at my record of, you know, I chaired the affirmative action campaign in this state. I've done, I, I feel a little defensive, but we have to do that. We <laughs> well, have to find a way so that we continue to be the voice for those that don't have a voice, for those that need to make sure they're making a decent living. But do you, do you, do you see how uh, the Clintons, for instance, and I'm not picking on Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton here uh, alone, but that they have moved the party to the right by, and, and this wasn't an, an unconscious uh, move. It was a conscious move. It was to to get votes that uh, that used to be Republicans. Is the way that Bill Clinton sort of formed that new majority uh, has that taken over the the party's core beliefs? I think is the question that Tom's asking in a way that that leaves more progressive people out of it. Here's what I'm going to say that I think the challenge is that how do we stay a voice for progressives? And I will. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, one of the hardest things I ever did was to chair the affirmative action campaign in the state. Yeah. And that was when I realized how divided this state was. And I put together a coalition like one that you had never seen. But it's not either or. That's the ch- challenge. I don't agree. I've never agreed with the Clintons on trade. But let's just be really clear on <laughs> right. that. There, uh, you know, I've been, I want to be very strong on that. Uh, but I'm not against working with people because... I think we've got to find a way to come together. Compromise is not a bad word, but you've got to know what your values are. You've got to not be afraid to stand up for what you believe in. You've got to not be afraid to fight for the fundamental uh, pillars of our Constitution, like freedom of, re- of religion, so that when someone's being targeted because they're a Muslim. So we've got to do that, but at the same time, we've got to be the voice for working men and women who need to have a champion for them so that what they've spent their lifetime fighting for, like a pension, so that they can get a job so that their job isn't being shipped overseas, you can do at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Vern in Highland Park. Vern, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, how are you this morning? Good, how are you, Vern? Oh, pretty good. Hello, uh, how are you doing, uh, Ms. Bing? Uh, uh, I wanted to ask you, what do you think that, uh, why do you think that uh, Hillary, during her campaign, never even went to Wisconsin and... Uh, the fact that uh, on the uh, during the election time she uh, spent very little money in Michigan as far as uh, I guess you would say signage and stuff. People would say they would be coming down from uh, west or or north or east of uh, Detroit, and they saw Trump signs. Yeah, you did. When they got into Detroit uh, area, Wayne County, they didn't see any Hillary signs. They didn't <laughs> spend any money on the on the campaign as far as uh, getting out uh, the people to see the uh, actual. Uh, what, what I'm saying is they didn't have any uh, campaign literature out as much as uh, Trump did in the uh, Macomb County, for instance. Uh, yeah. So you what feel I'm like. Is they, they 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 neglected to uh, put out signs for Hillary. Yeah, yeah. Vern, uh, great question. I, I I saw the same thing. If you went to Macomb County, for instance, if you went to Oakland County, 
parts of Outwayne, you saw a lot of Trump signs on people's lawns. You didn't see a lot of Clinton signs in places where you would expect to see them. It, it gets to this bigger question, I think, of taking some of those votes for granted. Well, right? I'm going to even look at you, Stephen Henderson. When I said, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, Vern, you, there is nobody, I've been told you got to stop saying, I told you so, so I'm trying to stop saying, I told you so. You so did you tell just me so, me. though. That's all right. I, I, for two straight years, I said that this state was competitive, that people needed to understand what the issues were out there, that we weren't doing what we needed to do, that they needed to come into the state, that we needed to spend money. And quite frankly, it's part of what we need to do in soul searching as Democrats, who are the leaders, who is being listened to, who does impact. Because you can go Google me and you will see me in August 18th of 2015 saying Donald Trump's exciting people. You'll find me on this radio station a year ago saying Donald Trump could win the state of Michigan and everybody poo-pooing me. You are right. (laughs) We needed to do more. Uh, I've got to find a way to be more effective. But a lot of people didn't want to hear it and didn't want to listen to it. And quite frankly, it wasn't just the Clinton campaign. The media all thought the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 to join the conversation. 313-577-1019. I'm talking with Debbie Dingell, Democratic Congresswoman representing Michigan's 12th district. We're talking about the year behind us and the year ahead. Uh, Let's go to David in Detroit. David, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for this conversation um, today. Uh, My question is about the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act, WIOA, which helps train workers to do the things that employers say and actually want them to do. Um, a lot of the funds that have come into the region over the last couple of years are apprenticeship centered for hard-to-serve populations for H-1B-related occupations, so those uh, technical positions that you can come in from outside the country to take those jobs. So um, I think there's a tremendous need to kind of fill in the gaps so that um, the individuals that are in hard-to-serve populations are definitely a, a primary focus, like with the changes that just happened in Detroit for the apprenticeship program uh, to allow more residents uh, to get training. But where are the middle-skill opportunities for retooling adults? So if you've been out of your job for six months or a year, it's incredibly hard to find support to get the retraining in, in relevant fields like uh, IT sure. and healthcare. Yeah. Great question, David. Thank you very much for calling. Uh, Go ahead, Debbie. You're absolutely right. We need to make sure that we are trying to get those dollars in. It's uh, money will come at both the state level and the federal level into the state. Uh, I think that we really need to be, I don't know what's going to happen with the Trump administration if we're going to continue to invest and try to make sure dollars are going into these kinds of programs. I think the state, which takes the lead on actually setting up these programs uh, with um, the with federal dollars, but they've then got the lead in implementing the program. I, I want to work with the state to do exactly what you are talking about, and we'll continue to do that. Do you do you think that uh, you know when you hear Donald Trump talk about these issues in particular, he does seem to get that people need more. They need more. Uh, they need more opportunity. They need more more help. They need more support. I mean, at the same time, he says some things that that you know have got us concerned. People when he says you know wages are too high and 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 things like that. But I, I sense that there is some slim opportunity for Democrats to be able to work with this president on some of these issues. Some of these issues that deal with working people and what they 
what they aren't getting right now. I don't know what Donald Trump's going to be like as president. I think the one thing that we do know is he's very, he's unpredictable. (laughs) Yeah. But having said that, you know, one of the reasons that I think that I did have a gut feel for what was going on is because every, when I'm home, I'm in a union hall, I'm at the farmer's market, I'm in church, I'm in the beauty parlor. I listen to people. Donald Trump, has a good gut, you know, between some of the gigs that he plays, yeah. he could f- sense the anxiety. <laughs> Donald Trump's living in an ivory tower and doesn't understand uh, how everyday people, working men and women, aren't making enough to pay their, uh, to live in a safe neighborhood or to be able to buy food or to uh, afford their prescriptions. And I think that is what worries me. And that's the biggest challenge. I go grocery shopping. Everybody knows that you'll see me at 7 a.m. <laughs> I'm telling you which Kroger, but, uh, and I Instagram milk, eggs, and butter every week because it's really important to understand what the cost of living is and what people yeah. are scared about. Right. I think that's one of the things that I think Donald Trump doesn't understand, but he does understand that there's an anxiety among many working men and women in this sure. country. Sure. Uh, let's go to Trisha in Centerline. Trisha, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Hey. Um, one, I hate politics and I didn't start getting into it until I started listening to the show a few months ago and I just want to to um, say that Debbie is um, like super impressing me with her intellect her perspective and her passion and it's inspiring and it's motivating to me um, and my question for her is that I, I'm in manufacturing I'm an engineer um, and she, I like that she sees that there's this working class that, you know, that are afraid of their jobs being taken away, which my perspective is like, if you give me 20 people who know anything about controlled engineering, I can get them all jobs <laughs> right now. But my question is, is that most people that I know who identify with Trump and who are scared of, of their jobs being stolen also are very um, tolerant. And I mean, if uh, even worse, like, you know, they'll hate their neighbor who's Arabic. They don't even know if they're Muslim, but because they might, they own the gas station, you know, and that might be taking their job and they're scared of that. And it's like, they overlook all of these indecencies and just, you know, just, I'm I'm having a hard time finding words, but do you kind of get what I'm saying? I do. Um, I do. Uh, essentially, this you're asking about being able to bridge that gap between, you know, people who are afraid for themselves and their families and their work, and and people who uh, are in this country to try to do the same things, but then become sort of, I guess, the target of uh, those who are concerned uh, for their own lives. Uh, and I, I think that's a great that's a great question. I mean, that this is one of the tensions that we've seen play out in this campaign. Uh, the, the the things that Donald Trump has said to foment resentment of uh, people who come to this country uh, to, to to make better lives for themselves. And he's sort of exploited those fears that working class people have about it. How, how does the Democratic Party sort of insert itself in that that dynamic in a way that turns it in another direction. Okay, so this is so far from being simple. First of all, I want to say it's great to meet you this morning and to say that you're involved. And I I think the word politics has this negative connotation, but you're involved in your community. Community, by the way, the Tocqueville wrote in the early 1800s is the strength of democracy. 
And I, you know, God's blessed me with this intensity and passion, which some people don't like. But um, I, I, if I see something and I think it's worth fighting for, I'm going to go out and fight for it. But I also want to ask you not to take a paintbrush and paint everybody. Because there are some people that are fearful. And, uh, but not everybody. There are a lot of people that live in Dearborn and where I live that embrace their Muslim neighbors. And I can't tell you how many people in the Jewish community who have said, if they try to create a registry, I'm going to register as a Muslim. So there's a lot of acceptance and a lot of good in our community. And I think we talk too much about the negative and not about the positive. And what we have to do, what I've really realized in the last couple of years, and I'm very worried about, I've, I've been worried about race issues since I, well, before I chaired the Affirmative Action Campaign, but it was very eye-opening to chair the Affirmative Action Campaign. And is that we really, I can do okay, and you can do okay, and we do okay. And it's how we don't threaten each other with each other's success, but how we're all stronger with a we. And that, I think, is our biggest challenge, not it's a challenge as in the Democratic Party, but it's also a challenge as Americans. How do we all help each other? How are we strong? Okay. As always, Debbie Dingle, Congresswoman from Michigan's 12th District, thanks very much for being with us on Detroit today. Thank you. We'll have you back after we have a new president. Happy 2017 (laughs) to everybody. Absolutely. Okay. Up next, uh, we're going to talk with the folks from uh, Cass Community Services about uh, their Christmas drive. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Bye.